all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. You know, herbal medications and supplements, they seem to be useful, at least that's what they tell us, but are they really? Are there any kind of interactions with other medications or medical conditions? What's the evidence say? Are they safe or some dangerous for our kids to take? We'll be tackling these and other questions this morning, including the ones that you are going to call and give us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. This is such a special topic that uh, I've enlisted an expert uh, to come and, and talk to us about herbal supplements and herbal remedies this morning. Um, at, uh, so Leslie, Leslie Davis is here. And Leslie, thank you for coming and uh, welcome to the program. Dr. Stewart, thanks for having me. Um, a little bit about me. My name's Leslie Davis. Uh, I'm a pharmacist. I'm completing my pharmacy residency at the University of Mississippi Medical Center this year. Uh, I did my undergrad and pharmacy school at Ole Miss. Uh, go Rebels. So I'm really excited to be here and talk with you guys today and um, kind of just maybe clear up some questions that people may have about dietary supplements and herbal remedies. Now, most of you may not know the pathway to becoming a pharmacist and the different, actually different levels of education within the uh, pharmacist. So uh, tell us where you are right now, because you're a pharmacy resident, right? So that's a little bit different than a, a pharmacy student. I am. Um, so pharmacy has residency similar to medicine. So after you complete your four years of pharmacy school, you earn your uh, doctor of pharmacy or PharmD degree and actually get licensed uh, prior to starting a residency. And residencies are optional, but they're great opportunities to kind of continue your education in practice as a fully licensed pharmacist and to kind of build on everything that you did as a student while also you know, taking care of your patients. Um, and so it's a one-year residency program. Some people opt to do a second year as well. Um, and so it's just kind of building on my knowledge base and getting to work with patients every day, hopefully to continue to work in a hospital in the future. Yeah, one of the things that we see today in the medical field is that there's so much complexity to taking care of patients, both on in the inpatient setting and the outpatient setting. That we, you know, no one person, the old model of a physician and maybe a nurse that, that helped him uh, uh, help him or her in the in the community. That's really difficult to do. And you really need a healthcare team. And certainly with the uh, the amount of medications that we use these days, the amount of interactions with different things and side effects and in disease management, you know, pharmacists have really stepped up to the plate and become an important member of the healthcare team. 
that's one of the things that we emphasize uh, in training. You know, sometimes as a patient, you may get a call from a pharmacist that works uh, intimately with uh, the healthcare team in the clinic. Um, you know, you may not understand. It, it may not always be related to your medications. It may be related to other things that have to deal with your medical problems. Um, but thank goodness for pharmacists. I, I kid around with, with pharmacists a lot, but, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I say is with the amount of medications, one of the, the primary roles is to make sure that we don't do anything bad to patients um, and because it's it's pretty easy to do, particularly in an inpatient setting. That's one of the the most common um, uh, negative side effects with being in the hospital is due to medication errors uh, and communication uh, problems. So it's thanking us for pharmacists. We're glad you're doing what you're doing. We're glad that you're here to talk about herbal remedies and supplements this morning. Thank you. Happy to be here. So let's I guess we could start off with just a, you know, a routine definition of that. So as far as herbal supplements, what is what do you mean when you say that? Like complementary and alternative medicine, what what exactly is that? So complementary and alternative medicine, or it'll you'll see it referred to as CAM. Um, it's a group of diverse medical and healthcare systems, practices, and products. So not just. Um, you know, things that you would take, but also just actions that you would um, do. So would that include things like uh, acupuncture or, mm-hmm. you know, sort of non-traditional uh, allopathic medicine Yes, uh, anything, techniques? anything that kind of falls outside the scope of your conventional medicine. Um, so things like acupuncture, herbals, um, even things like yoga and um, things that kind of fall outside of what you would consider um, Western medicine, I suppose. And so complementary medicine, when we talk about complementary and an alternative, complementary is what you see the most of. So people that are using these things together with conventional medicine. And then alternative is people who are using these um, when conventional medicine is not used. And what we see the most of, especially, you know, in the United States is, is complementary medicine. So t- um, using some of these strategies on top of, you know, That's a big change, too, in medicine, even, you know, in the last 20 years um, that uh, 20 or so years that I've been practicing after residency. It's it's um, it's interesting to see just the changes in in the science behind it about what works and what doesn't work. And then also in, uh, as you said, that complementary aspect of it, even things that, you know, we never would have discussed 30 years ago, even exercise, which is a well-known benefit to so many different medical problems, both in the prevention and, uh, you know, uh, primary prevention of, of, of the development of chronic diseases, and also in the treatment of some, too. Uh, chronic back pains, uh, uh, you know, a common one, osteoarthritis. We now know that both of those conditions um, react very well to exercise, but yet, 20 years ago, we didn't talk about it so much about doing those kinds of things. And now we're slowly broadening out into other things and working with patients. It's not uncommon that I have patients, uh, you know, pretty much every time I'm in clinic that they bring a supplement and say, somebody does and says, uh, hey, do I need to be taking this? Can I take this? What are the problems with this? So you got to be up to date on those on the things that are out there. And it's, uh, you know, full disclosure, there's uh, sometimes often that I'm like, you know what, I don't know, let me take a picture of that with my phone and uh, go investigate that. And oftentimes that investigation involves a pharmacist, um, because they're experts on it. Um, But you do have to sort of keep up on that and know the positives and negatives with those different things. 
So, so those are, okay, so the complementary medicine and alternative medicine. So what about supplements? What about dietary supplements? So when, we, when somebody says that, you know, should I be taking a dietary supplement, what does that sort of mean? So when we talk about a dietary supplement, we're talking about products that are used um, that in- contain some sort of dietary ingredient that's intended to further nutritional value or to supplement your diet. So that nut- or that dietary ingredient could be um, a vitamin, a mineral, an herb, or some other botanical or any combination of these. So when you walk down that aisle at Walgreens or CVS um, and you see kind of all of the supplements that that's usually what they're containing is some sort of vitamin, mineral, or herb. So something in addition to what you're already doing that has at least a potential uh, benefit or advertised benefit. Yes. I, that's a huge one. I, you know, I always, in, in some of the medical conditions that we diagnose in people, actually do involve supplements sometimes. Now, uh, vitamin D um, levels, particularly low levels of vitamin D, supplementation is used sometimes and it's not uncommon to do that with over-the-counter medications. There are some prescription dosing that's a little bit more, but that's pretty common with some of the over-the-counter medications. Iron is another one with iron deficiency anemia um, that you can take over-the-counter uh, supplements uh, in that case. Um, so there are some overlaps, I guess, with, with uh, some of the prescriptions, right? Yes, there is. Um Definitely. There's things that that we'll even recommend to people to take like the vitamin D and iron. So, you know, one of the things that um, that a lot of people uh, bring up as a concern is the regulation of these substances. So, you know, with medications, we have a totally different way of regulation than we do if something is classified as a supplement. So how does that work? So it's important to know that, you know, supplements that you by are not regulated the same way as prescription or over-the-counter medications. So there was actually an act, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, or DSHEA. And so basically... That's a this, mouthful. It is. So we'll call it DSHEA. Um, <laughs> this came out in 1994, and it basically said that unlike drugs um, that have to be proven safe and effective for their intended use before they can be sold, dietary supplements have a completely different set of regulations. So the manufacturer is responsible for ensuring that the products are safe before they're marketed, but they don't actually have to prove to the FDA um, that they're effective for what they're claiming. And so the FDA is responsible to take action against anything that's adulterated or misbranded um, if they can if they can prove that and then have the manufacturer remove it, um, which we've seen for different supplements in the past. But the bottom line there is that the supplements that you buy are not um, they don't have as strict of regulations as medications. And so you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. And you'll see they never can make claims to actually treat diseases. They can say for bone health, for skin health, yeah. but they can't say to treat osteoarthritis. Because or... it, it definitely sounds a little bit different mm-hmm. um, than, the, than the disease process. Yes. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and we're talking about herbal supplements and dietary supplements today with our special guest, Leslie Davis. And uh, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about some of the pluses and minuses with supplements. We would love to hear from you this morning. So call us with your question or comment at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Leslie Davis, our pharmacy expert of the day. We're talking about herbal remedies and supplements for you and your family, particularly for your kids and adolescents. That's a group that... We're going to find out may not have a whole lot of information out there about what's useful or maybe what's uh, not so useful. We would love to hear from you this morning. You can call us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email us at kids at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Casey from all the way from Dolphin Island, Alabama. Good morning, Casey. Morning. Thanks for calling. How's the weather down there at Dolphin Island? It is beautiful as always. We wish we were there with you in <laughs> Dolphin Island. Awesome. Well, so, I appreciate you guys having this conversation. Um, I think it's an important one. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I know that um, there's uh, a lot that can be said about the validity of the herbal supplements and everything. I just had a unique experience I wanted to share. Um, when my daughter was a month or two old, she got a bad um, respiratory virus, and um, it was made even worse when I uh, took her around some relatives for the holidays who were smoking, and her poor little infant lungs could just not handle all that, and I was a first-time mom. I just did not realize how bad it had really gotten, and um, so I took her to the doctor, and they said, you know, this is a respiratory virus. uh, I there's not much we can do uh, for the you know she's like two months old and right. she said um, we can give you a nebulizer um, you can do that but other than that like we just kind of have to hope for the best don't take her around people who are smoking anymore and um, so I, I I was freaking out I mean my, my baby was very sick and I couldn't stand just feeling like there wasn't much I could do and my sister was in town and she said let's go. Um, to the health food store and the lady who ran the health food store I know she knew she wasn't really supposed to act like a doctor but she was there to help us that day and um, she recommended that I change my diet and that I cut out um, meat sugar dairy and eat as much fruits and vegetables as I could especially vegetables she'll me eat a lot of garlic and she told me to um, take uh, to make fennel and catnip tea and to take olive leaf um, and that that would go through my breast milk to my baby. And um, when I took my baby back to the doctor a few days later, she absolutely could not believe. I mean, she had made almost 100% recovery in just a few days, and the doctor had told me initially that it would take months for her to get over this. Well, that sounds like a great outcome for you. Um, yeah, so so it's... Uh, you- it is important to, that, uh, you know, so everybody heard that right. We didn't give it to the baby uh, just because that's a lot of different things there. But certainly that is that is right. uh, that's certainly something that moms can do. You want to consult your physician, you know, if, if you're breastfeeding to make sure because some of those things will affect breast milk. Uh, certainly right. a lot of a lot of uh, great remedies to increase breast milk. Uh, particularly hops. Don't drink the beer, but you can take the hops uh, and other things that can, you know, increase production. And and certainly the foods that we eat, particularly that moms eat as a parent, 
can affect breast milk in ways that we don't fully understand. And right. certainly the things that you were doing seem to work for you. Um, my my line, and I, maybe we can get Leslie's opinion on this too, that you know, I, what I always tell parents is uh, for themselves or for their kids, if it's not going to hurt them, it's certainly worth a try, um, you know, right. to do things. And and sometimes those old remedies may have some a lot more truth in it than we know just because uh, we don't have a whole lot of evidence with that uh, because we're not studying it. Right. Right. And, um, you know, kind of like you said, the best thing you can do is a healthy diet for you. If you're breastfeeding, um, any nutrients that you take in, you're going to pass on to your baby. And so, uh, you know, getting them those vitamins and minerals that they need to keep them healthy and boost their immune system is definitely important. And you mentioned the catnip. That is definitely an old school remedy <laughs> that a lot of people have sworn by for a long time. And just because there's no scientific evidence to prove it, um, it is one that a lot of people will swear by for um, the health of their babies. And so kind of like you said, if it's not going to hurt them, um, it's definitely worth a try. But that is something, especially when you're breastfeeding, that you want to talk to your physician about. And because right. there are a lot of things that pass through the um, into breast milk that we that you may not think of that can be both helpful and harmful to the baby. So just kind right. of consulting with the physician with all those right. things is very important for sure. All right. Well, thank you, Casey, for calling all the way from Dolphin Island. We appreciate you uh, uh, sharing that with us. That's good information. I appreciate y'all's radio program. Absolutely. Y'all take care. Thanks. Thank you. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and we're talking about herbal remedies and supplements this morning. We'd love to hear from you. You can call us. Plenty of time to take your calls and specific questions you might have about that topic at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or email us at kids at mpbonline.org. Yeah, it's it's interesting the way, you know, that things can be passed on through breast milk, and that's with medications, but it also, I don't think people quite understand the dietary changes there uh, that you make, and certainly... It's never the wrong answer to eat a healthy diet if you're breastfeeding. I mean, that's going to keep you healthy. It's going to keep your baby healthy. It's going to make sure that breast milk production has all of the nutrients, uh, what we call macronutrients, but also micronutrients uh, that that baby needs uh, for, for proper development. Let's go to Kathy in southwest Mississippi. Good morning, Kathy. Hey. I'd, um, I'm going to ask my question then hang up because I'm driving. Sure. But, um, You're safe. We love that. <laughs> uh, DHA, I think it's called. That's the brain supplement. And then turmeric, that's for anti-inflammatory. Is that uh, worth the trouble or is it just a bunch of pipe? <laughs> so DHA um, is a great one, and that's actually an omega-3 fatty acid, um, which we've. there's actually been a lot of evidence to show that omega-3s are very helpful um, for things like uh, cholesterol um, and even, you know, we may talk about a little bit later that there's some usefulness in combination um, for with medication for children with ADHD. And so there is actually some evidence that shows that DHA can be really, really good for brain health. Um, so that is definitely one um, that it's not going to hurt you, um, that can be helpful. Um, yeah, and and it's you know foods that have a lot of the DHA in it too. Usually, it's um, it's cold fishes like cod. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and anytime you're talking about a supplement, um, every uh, study that's looked at these types of things, 
it's always better to get it in its natural form for the most part. I mean, there are some things that you have to take uh, increased amounts to really get the the amount that you need in certain conditions. But uh, usually if you're eating a healthy diet that has those things in it, um, certainly you can see the the uh, the benefits with it. Turmeric, you mentioned that too and just asking about that. So it's been, you know, touted uh, for lots of different things, headaches, bronchitis, colds, all kinds of different inflammatory conditions, even ringworms. Some people say that it's good for that inflammatory bowel disease, which would be, would be another inflammatory condition. Uh, Turmeric is a spice. A lot of people cook with it, particularly in Asian dishes. It's sort of akin to the ginger. It's in the ginger family. Um, so it, it has a chemical in it that does uh, decrease inflammation. So it might it does have some limited evidence that inflammatory conditions, it might be useful. Again, you want to be careful with that. Uh, if you as an adult are dealing with that, or if you have a child with a chronic inflammatory condition, uh, ask them about that because there may be some other medications that that may, may interact with. So a little bit of information, I mean, limited information anecdotally mostly that it does decrease that, but it does have a chemical in it that decreases inflammation. Well, thank you for that call, Kathy. And uh, we got a couple other callers that are waiting. Let's go to Lawrence in Jackson. Good morning, Lawrence. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Uh, I had a couple of questions, actually. Sure. Um, one, like when my wife was pregnant, uh, my uh, parents like really swore by fermented cod liver oil. Uh, and so we went and got it and it did fine. And it's like not processed at all. So it stinks and it uh, doesn't taste very good. But, you know, uh, I got a good deal on it. So we used it. But I'm running out of the supply I had. And I was wondering if that was something that i should keep giving to my uh she's three now so oh this was for your for your daughter you said it, it was, well it was for my pregnant wife they said oh okay take it, and then we just i bought so much of it because it was on sale and it doesn't yeah. go bad because it's fermented so i just kept giving it to her like once she was old enough to take it herself like after she yeah. stopped feeding how do you get her to take that because it's I, pretty I, you're right that's pretty stinky I give her what I call milkshakes, uh-huh. which is like quick powder, whole milk, and her dose of that. Shake it up, and she actually knows the taste. and won't take milkshakes without the cod liver oh, oil. Wow. <laughs> She's conditioned well. Uh, yeah, so cod liver oil has those other substances we were just talking about. So the DHAs, and they, you know, it's been touted that, and there's actually a little bit of evidence, right, Leslie, about uh, brain health uh, and, and proper brain development. Um, so, I, you know, I think that would probably be okay for her to have. I would be a little bit cautious about the fermented part of it, uh, just with other stuff in there. Um, I'm not aware of any benefit from the, you know, the ones that are processed because basically it has the same chemical in it. I know a lot of people want to go as natural as possible. You know, I'd well, say, go ahead. Like what the, the website talks about, like the reason it's fr- – fermented and all natural it's not processed is because it doesn't actually the processing does something to the vitamin a that you usually get in it or the vitamin d or something like that and so this actually apparently the big thing is that it has the right amount of vitamin a and vitamin d in it as opposed to the processed stuff where they it gets processed out for the dha stuff and then they add the vitamin the other vitamins back in after the fact because apparently that's what makes it stink i'm not super sure about it but yeah like so, that, some of the stinkinesses are the amines that are the amine compounds that are in uh, not mean as in angry but 
right. amine uh, that are uh, sort of the stinky compounds that fish have, sort of that fishy smell. So I don't, I, I'm not aware of that with the difference. Uh, you know, Leslie, is there a, a difference between those two or um, – you know, and that's something um, I'm actually not super familiar with either. You know, the we talk about the cod liver oil has, you know, the omega-3s and then the vitamin A and D, like you mentioned. Um, and so those are all definitely good nutrients and vitamins um, to have. Um, and that's something that a lot of children, it's important to know that a lot of children, if they're getting a well-balanced diet, are getting as much hopefully as much as they need in their in their diet. And so we usually will recommend first and foremost a healthy, balanced diet to um, get the vitamins and minerals that, that they need and then just supplementing when we need to. Um, but, you know, if that's something that she is enjoying um, and that you think is helping her, there's definitely, you know, some, some evidence to show it may have some anti-inflammatory properties. Um, if she's a, he- a young, healthy three-year-old, it may not be necessary, but it also may not be hurting her. So, other thing, Lawrence, is uh, don't hang your hat solely on cod liver oil as a source of all those different things, particularly vitamins A and D. There are some really good other sources that have other nutrients in it, certainly a lot of vegetables and fruits, well, mainly vegetables that, that have uh, the vitamin A in particular. So, right. yeah. And then the vitamin D, you know, your vitamin D fortified milk is really important. Um, right you know, for kids to get them They're, They require a lot of vitamin D a day and a lot of kids aren't getting um, as much as they should. And so that milk is a great source of that for them too. And that kind of leads into my second question. Um, she is three now and she's getting a little picky in what she eats. I mean, it's really weird. She likes hot dogs, pizza, and, uh, and cod liver oil. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like she's getting picky and like, I don't, want to force her to eat because that'll just make her hate her vegetables like you know every kid when she's little should i would it be a good idea to like start doing like a flintstones kids kind of thing or you know like a little kid multivitamin just to cover the bases or yeah i don't think that's going to hurt anything certainly you know if you can do it naturally with a with a balanced healthy diet a lot of green on the plate uh you know really leaning on uh those fruits and vegetables lean lean meats um and that's certainly fine if you can if you're having a hard time with that certainly a multivitamin either the you know the old flintstones now they have the gummy vitamins too uh any of those should be fine as they're prescribed you know as they're on the on the well not prescribe it basically the directions on the on the side of it remember too that those aren't benign completely you know they do have some things that if kids get a hold of it and that's the only thing i worry about is overdosing on those so make sure that y'all are controlling you know the supply of that all right we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk to chris and kathleen who have some comments and questions for us plenty of time for you to call us today we're talking about herbal medications with our special guest leslie davis you can call us at 1877 mpb ring that's 1877-672-7464 we'll be right back after this
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Leslie Davis, and we're talking about herbal supplements and remedies this morning. Got a lot of questions from people. Plenty of time for you to call in, too, with your questions or comments. You can reach us by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or email us. The email address is kids at mpbonline.org. So let's go to uh, Kathleen in Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Thanks for calling. Good morning, guys. Um, well, I have two comments. Sure. One, uh, I was always having trouble with blood pressure and pills and all like that. And it's not that I can completely get off of them, but I found what helped me through the recommendation of friends is cinnamon. So I make tea, a special tea every morning, like cinnamon tea or herbal tea of some sort. And put the cinnamon in it, and it was remarkable the effect it had. I'm down to only three pills, which two years ago I was on seven. Wow. So um, that, and I have a question about coconut oil. Uh-huh. If you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure, I'll, I'll make a comment about the... Um, and I'll, I'll just listen off air for that. Sure, thank you, Kathleen. Uh, so I'll just make a comment. As a hypertension specialist, so I uh, treat kids and, and adults with hypertension. Uh, you know, cinnamon is one of those things that uh, that is sort of out there about about the treatment of blood pressure. I have patients that have, that have had similar stories, uh, you know, with their blood pressure improving uh, on this, sort of in, this, in the same way. You know, I hardly ever have anybody that's able to come off of those uh, just by that alone. Uh, and again, this is one of those things that cinnamon, uh, to my knowledge, doesn't have a whole lot of side effects, particularly in the amounts that most people ingest. You smell really good. The tea's great. Uh, so I would say, hey, do that. Uh, and if it works for you, that's great. Um, but it is one of the things that's listed, you know, sort of out there if you search for it as as decreasing blood pressure. We just want to put in a plug for the DASH diet. So it's not Mrs. DASH. It's Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. Uh, so it is a, um, a treatment for hypertension. Um, it's not, you know, it, it, it's something I would say that we tell our patients right alongside medications and food is probably one of the best, if not the best, medications in treating things and in preventing things. Um, And this particular diet is very useful in the treatment of hypertension uh, and prevention of hypertension. And in some cases, if you look at uh, some of the trials that were done to treat hypertension, blood pressure went down as much as 8 to 14 points. Uh, that's about what one medication will go uh, get you. So if you stick with it, I mean, that's a that's a lot of decrease. So uh, thanks for sharing that. And then the other one was coconut oil, right? So what about coconut mm-hmm. oil? So coconut oil has kind of been a hot topic here recently. Um, you've seen probably a lot of things shared that coconut oil it has all of these health benefits. Um, pull toxins out. People will use, you know, they'll swish it in their mouth and spit it out to pull toxins out of their body and out of their mouth and people will ingest it. Well, so recently the American Heart Association came out and said that there's really not any health benefit 
to using coconut oil and that it can actually be harmful. So coconut oil actually has a lot more saturated fat than many other oils um, and can actually increase the bad cholesterol in your body. So as far as ingestion of coconut oil for health benefits, we'll actually recommend against it. Um, As far as, you know, the people that are using it locally in their mouth and then spitting it out is is obviously going to be somewhat of a different of a different ball game but for ingestion it's actually not recommended yeah really high in those saturated fats mm-hmm. it's not you really have to understand sort of about good fat bad fat it's not uh everything that comes from a plant is not necessarily good particularly if you're talking about coconut it's that that type of uh of fats and that's that's come uh, it's a little bit of a change uh, that's that's pretty recent with that. So be a little bit careful, particularly if you're ingesting it uh, in that case. All right, let's go to Chris in Brookhaven. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning. I was calling because I have a three-year-old nephew who has sores around his mouth and on his tongue and in certain parts of his mouth as well. And his father was told that he had um, something like a hand hand to mouth or something like that uh-huh. and and i was just wanting to get some some further education on that and some things they can do to kind of prevent this from happening again sure so so what you're describing just hang up sure okay thank you for calling chris um yeah so so what you're describing is a patient with hand foot and mouth disease uh, so this is uh, a lot of it's the it's one of those conditions that sounds really bad. That's uh, it's not too descriptive, but it, it's sort of descriptive of some of the symptoms. So hand, foot and mouth disease is caused by a virus, a type of virus. It's a Coxsackie virus. And this virus, uh, like all viruses, can cause fever. It can cause some upper respiratory secretions. But a characteristic of this particular virus is it causes this rash that can be inside the mouth or around the mouth and on the palms of the hands or the soles of the feet. You can get it on different parts of the body, but characteristically, that's where it is. That's why they call it hand, foot, and mouth. And it's not that you get it, you know, from, well, you could get it from get putting your hand in your mouth, but not in that same way. That's just the way it presents. Most viral infections like this, there's unfortunately, there's not much you can do about, um, you know, about them once you develop it. It sort of has to run its course. Uh, the biggest complication with hand, foot, and mouth diseases in younger individuals because of the discomfort that they have with these, these lesions, the rash inside their mouth, they may have a decreased intake of of food and and uh, and liquids, and they, in some in some cases they may have a little bit of dehydration. As far as preventing it, what you can do to prevent it, there's not a whole lot besides not being around other people who have it because this is one of those viruses that travel from person to person. A lot of times it'll be on the surfaces that we touch. Uh, As you know, kids in there, you know, that are two or three, uh, they don't have the best hygiene. Uh, They're touching different things. And uh, the biggest thing actually is probably just uh, avoiding those situations where you have other kids. But I'll tell you, it is extremely common in schools, uh, difficult to deal with because there's not much you can do about it. There are some topical things that you can use sometimes to decrease the pain that they're having inside their mouth, but not much you can do besides letting it run its course. So. 
Um, you know, it's just one of those illnesses that I wish as a pediatrician that I had a cure. I would retire right now and uh, help other people out with the common cold and those kinds of things. But, uh, I, you know, just in reality, there are some things that just have to run their course and there's not much you can do about it. And most kids recover from from Coxsackie virus infections without any kind of problems. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about herbal supplements and uh, um, and other things that you take over the counter to treat different things. And got a couple of people on the line, but we've got plenty of time for you to call in. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Daniel in Tupelo. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning. Thanks for calling. What's your uh, question this morning? All right. Well, I kind of give you the rundown. I'm 32. I've been taking noni juice for about two months now. I found out about it from a friend of mine that actually had been taking it because he had a heart attack. And 10 years ago, was taking 14 pills a day and dropped them all. And I've noticed a lot of the benefits from as far as my energy, anxiety, things like that dropping down. And my allergies not really even having them anymore. But I was kind of curious, what are y'all's thoughts as far as kids taking them? Yeah, I don't know of any. There is, a, you know, a lot of research or at least some, some research in this. This is a Polynesian folk medicine is where this came from. And right. a lot of people have been looking at it, particularly for the, some of the same conditions that you have with, you know, with heart healthy benefits to it, uh, particularly as it relates to cholesterol and triglycerides. I don't know if, uh, in, uh, you know, I can't think of anything uh, study wise that's been looked at in kids with this. And. It's not surprising just because, you know, most kids, unless you have some extreme situations, are not going to have heart disease, at least by some of the ways that we normally test for that. Um, so I'm not sure that we have a whole lot of evidence about non-juice. Uh, and as far as safety reasons, you know, Leslie, do you know of any safety studies or anything? It's sort of where we are with a lot of the supplements that we just don't have the, the safety studies with that. Yeah. And um, in children, that's true. You know, really for any um, most herbals and supplements, there's just one, not a lot of data on them in general. And then we don't have a lot of data for use in kids for all sorts of ethical reasons. And so when you put the two together, sometimes it's hard to to really get concrete evidence um, for or against. So it's really just a, a lot of times a proceed with caution. And I would say it's that's probably um, how you would approach it with with the noni juice. Um but something to also to know, um, it actually is pretty high in potassium. So yeah. it can be something that you want to definitely let your physician know. And if you have any sort of kidney problems or heart problems um, related to the potassium, you just need to be careful of that. Um, so, yeah, and a lot of a lot of foods, too, that, you know, uh, again, you sort of have to know what's what's in this stuff. And uh, because of the potassium problem, particularly those people who their if their kidneys are not functioning correctly to filter out potassium like they normally would, or if they're taking medications and a lot of heart medications do raise your potassium, you want to be careful with that. But um, I don't know, Daniel. I, I'm not uh, aware of any that are out there. Uh, we'll research that and uh, hey, shoot us an email at kids at mpbonline.org and uh, I'll see if I can uh, if I can dig that one up for you and uh, and get you an answer. I will, and actually, I was just kind of curious because I'd noticed. I mean, according to the Hawaiian remedies that they they give, they say a lot of the kids nowadays, and it's like a one percent rating that the kids actually have that take it started at birth is what they're saying. And you know, given taking the, I take the hundred percent, you know, pure. I don't take any of this cut with cranberry juice or grape juice right. or like that. But they're saying kids don't wear glasses, you know, and 
don't have near the amount of health problems that, you know, a lot of other kids do that don't take it in Hawaii. So that's why I was kind of curious about it. Yeah, and as far as, you know, from birth, I, I would hesitate to do that just because of the, uh, you know, particularly that potassium in there. And you can run into some really big problems with newborns uh, below the age of, of particularly below 12 months with doing that kind of thing. And uh, even with just water, a lot of people will give their their infants water. That's a bad idea. I've seen a lot of kids in the hospital that had problems just because they sort of washed out their electrolytes. So be a little bit careful about that from birth. I know that's what they say. If you look for it, you know that they they do that. But, uh, you know, either formula or breast milk is probably the best thing. But, hey, thanks for sharing that uh, that question and that comment, Daniel. We appreciate your call. Let's go to Valerie in Sebastopol. Good morning, Valerie. Uh, yes, I have an 11-year-old grandson that uh-huh. has high-function uh, autism. Yes. And I was wondering if there was any any type of, you know, natural vitamins or whatever would be able, you know, that would be good for him to take for my daughter to give it. Yeah, that's a, that's a big area of interest right now is... Uh, not just in supplements, but in uh, in changes in diet. And there's a lot of interest in different types of diets with autism. Um, some of the newest, you know, and, and we're not we're not necessarily talking about causes. We're talking about treatment here. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I would say there's nothing that I can think of that's that's been linked directly to positive outcomes. Um, yet. Uh, now, there may be in the future. Like I said, there's a lot of in interest in this as far as research goes uh, in nutritional uh, research and supplemental research. Um, but we do know that there are, particularly early in life, there are direct links between brain development and a healthy diet. And the, the theory behind a lot of this is that, in, in particularly in cases of autism spectrum disorders, that there may be some deficiencies in pathways there in the brain itself that if we supplemented them, in other words, they're just sort of, they're not working like they should to, right. you know, for all those nutrients to be turned into all the normal things that the brain needs to develop and work, uh, work normally. There's, you know, supplementing that in some kind of form or fashion might be helpful uh, in in that. I, you know, I, and again, Valerie, I don't, I'm not aware of any, you know, just earth-shattering study that's out there that says that the biggest thing is trying to and this is a this is a a challenge with autistic kids particularly those who have uh, sensory input uh, changes um, food aversions in particular it's it's difficult to get them uh, to the point where they can have a balanced diet sometimes Uh, correct all he wants to eat is uh, Popeye's fried chicken yeah, yeah, and that's that's not uncommon. Um, but just because they, and a lot of times they'll get focused on that one food, and I, you know, I've even had some some patients uh, had, uh, that have had problems even with liquids, yeah, all liquids. It's so hard to get them just to drink water or anything liquid. Oh, uh, now he loves water. Does he? <laughs> water is his thing. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I try to do the best you can with that, and you know, uh, parents oftentimes who have autistic children too. You know, once they get something where they can eat at least something, you know, I wouldn't give up completely on the introduction of other things. The sensory input part of of, uh, and sensory processing that goes along with autism spectrum disorders, what we know now is there, there are ways to augment that. And some of the therapy that goes into treating autism works with that. 
Um, right. And and that the same thing for food aversions and preferences. You know, working with a good speech pathologist can can work wonders sometimes well, in those patients. That has that has really worked. And his doctor that he's from Baton Rouge, and his doctor that he has her son was autistic. Uh-huh. So she has really Dr. Hallman has really done a lot of studies and stuff. You know. And she has done just phenomenal uh, with, been, you know, great with Peyton and everything. So, uh, you know, I was just, you know, wondering, you know, the the ADHD medicine or uh, thing that y'all had mentioned earlier for the ADHD kids. I was just wondering if, you know, that might would help with this. Yeah, I think the the DHA uh, medications, uh, I think that would be fine. You know, certainly, theoretically, that should help brain health. uh, And certainly autism is one of those conditions that, you know, certainly is not going to harm anything uh, if you don't overdo it. So I would try that. Thank you for calling, Valerie. And uh, we appreciate your uh, call and uh, best of luck to to your family and and, uh, dealing with that. Let me tell you what, autism is one of the most frustrating things as a family to to try to give the best for your child. And thankfully, we have a lot more uh, earlier ways to diagnose that and to treat that and try to come up with a positive uh, outcome. We're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we're going to finish up our segment on uh, herbal medications and... uh, probably try to touch on a couple more still got time for one more call one or two more calls if you have a question for us you can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four we'll be right back after this break This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with our special guest, Leslie Davis. And uh, we're talking about all kinds of supplements and uh, herbal medications today. Got a lot of callers today. Thank you for calling. And uh, we're going to try to hit these last few callers uh, to give them a chance to ask their question or give a comment. Let's go to Kenneth in Natchez. Good morning, Kenneth. Hello. Hey, thanks for calling, Kenneth. What's your question this morning? Yeah, uh, my my wife's always had a, a yeast infection problem. Yep. But she's had a partial hysterectomy, and it seems that they they are constant, and the doctor keeps giving them medicine. She's allergic to fluking and almost all the medicine, and can't nobody seem to fix it. The boric acid was working at first, but now it's not working anymore. 
Yeah, that's a difficult situation. So the the causes of a yeast infection are multiple. Number one, yeast uh, it it likes moist uh, places. So any part in the body that uh, you can have a moist place, it likes to hang out there. Uh, certain parts of the body certainly they're not gonna you can't get them non moist. Um, so that's that's one of the issues. The other issue is the changes, particularly if you're talking about vaginal yeast infections, the changes that happen after a surgical procedure like that or after menopause when you change the environment in there a lot of times you'll change the ph uh, or other conditions that make the yeast a little bit more susceptible to grow um, a lot of people have looked at diet changes uh, to try to try to change that that might work for some people uh, some people use you know some uh, uh, vaginal washes or or uh, uh, different things to sort of change that environment in there, but it is incredibly hard sometimes just because of that to to treat those uh, from a natural way. And you're right, certain certain times you're just not going to get the the effect from uh, different antibiotics. Usually, something like diflucan or fluconazole works to knock it out, but in some situations, uh, it's a it's a chronic problem. So, and, and the other thing that you might want to look at too, uh, the use of of local estrogens to that area might be something that she wants to talk to your OBGYN about if that you know that might uh, help um, hey Kenneth I'm going to encourage you to call back tomorrow too for uh, Southern Remedy and with women's health issues because uh, they may have uh, something to offer y'all too uh, but I would I would check into that uh, you know some of the estrogen creams that might help uh, with that with that yeast infection so thanks for calling let's go to uh, Frank and Byram what supplement do you use Frank actually we're out of time Frank you can email us uh, with your question or comment sorry I wasn't looking at the clock there Jay's like no we don't have time thanks to all our callers today man we got some good information out there thank you for our special guest Dr. L- I'm going to make you a doctor already how about that Leslie Davis uh, who joined us this morning with a lot of good info this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and we appreciate you tuning in to us today stay tuned to NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio